Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial-free versions of past episodes. Podcast blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And remember, while there are no commercials in these episodes, you can always support the show by becoming a member of the Member Support Brigade or by doing your Amazon shopping through tspaz.com. Today we are rewinding to episode 938, Understanding the Problems versus the Symptoms. This originally aired July 10th, 2012. There's a better way to do this. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, July 10th, 2012. This is episode 938 of the Survival Podcast. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what I said about Walmart yesterday. We're going to really get away from that because today's show is going to be understanding the problems in society versus the symptoms of the problems in society. This should be an interesting show. I'm doing this because I can tell by some of the responses to my comments on Walmart that people didn't get it. I didn't say they were a great company. I didn't say they were wonderful people. I didn't say they were a fine, upstanding example of the kind of company you should build if you want to build a true American, wonderful company that cares about its employees, its people, and its communities. I didn't say anything like that. So they suck. I said many other companies suck, and to single them out simply because they're the largest won't have any effect. That doesn't mean they're good. We'll get into more of that in just a moment, though, and we'll start unwinding this web and see how far it goes today. I think that even if you think you're not going to enjoy today's show, you will. I think it's going to make you think. I think it's going to challenge you intellectually, and I like to do that. So I'm going to have fun with it. Hey. All right, I'm going to go into this subject today about understanding the problems versus the symptoms. I'm going to try very hard not to offend anybody that told me yesterday that I was wrong, because uh, I don't want to tell you that I think you're stupid or you just don't get it or whatever. But what I will say is when you say, people, a couple of people said just flat out, Jack, you got this one wrong. Uh, I have to say, really, what did I get wrong? What did I specifically get wrong? Did I say it's okay to shop at Walmart? I didn't even say it was okay to shop at Walmart. What I said is, Boycotting Walmart won't do any good. It won't, it won't do any good. And, and here's the reality. I look at everything in life now from a permaculture perspective because it's the best damn troubleshooting system I've ever found. And as, you know, a military person, specifically a military mechanic, and somebody that spent a lot of time in the telecommunications industry and then moved into the sales industry and the communications industry, troubleshooting is how I did everything and how I was very successful at it. So when I was actually attacking the field and a circuit would go down, it was troubleshooting to let me find the problem and fix it. When I was in sales, you'd think, well, you don't need to troubleshoot. You troubleshoot all the time in sales because you get the client. The client wants to do business with you, but there are things in the way, and you have to remove the obstructions. So troubleshooting is what my entire life's been about. And then I found permaculture, and I realized it was the best damn methodology for troubleshooting I had ever seen. And uh, when I look at this problem with something like Walmart uh, or any company, and don't worry, I'm going to name a lot of names of companies today that I don't like. And let me say this right now so you get it, okay? I don't like Walmart. I am not offering my support or my endorsement 
to Walmart. If Walmart came to me right now and said, Jack, if you'll fire one of your sponsors, we will pay you $10,000 a month to put our banner on your site, I would tell them no. I would tell them no. But it won't prevent me from stopping on the way home tonight. I'm not going to because I don't need to, but if I needed to and I needed an, an all-natural chicken and the store down the road has one and I can actually see the family that grew the chicken, it won't prevent me from going there and getting that chicken. That might sound like it's in conflict, but it's not. Because if I go some, if there was across the street from Walmart, or even if I had to go five, ten miles out of my way, right, a place where I could just go buy one right now without making a phone, and, and, you know, and I need it right now, then I would go there. And if it was a small operation, a guy had him in his backyard, and he'd just go, let me go get you one, and, and take care of cleaning it right there and hand it to me, even if I had to pay twice as much, I'd go do it, but it's not there. So my alternative is to go to Kroger or Albertsons. So when I look at this, and then the guy that started this whole thing, that had this email exchange with me, he posted the whole email exchange, which I let go on the comments section. By the way, those of you that uh, emailed me yesterday and said, hey, the comments are closed, I don't know how that happened. Uh, I got out of the office early yesterday. I got home. We had a lot of rain and stuff, and the satellite Internet kept going out, and I kept trying to change it. I'm convinced there was a gremlin in yesterday's episode. Uh, there really was, because all kinds of weird crap happened with that. But I got the comments open. He posted his comments, and he's right. That's exactly what he said. But he also said, I didn't, I didn't ask you to boycott them. I said we should help other companies take their space. Folks, what is a boycott? What is a let, let, Let's examine that for a second. Again, I'm not trying to offend anybody here. I'm just trying to frame this as I go forward so that we understand how people think and why the way people think about this stuff is not wrong. It's just backwards. Right? It's like you're worried about the, the lion and his teeth and his claws, but you're complaining about his butthole. Right? Well, the butthole's not the problem. Right? It's the teeth and the claws. You're on, on the wrong end. You're looking, you're observing the wrong end of the problem. It's not that you're wrong about the problem in of itself. But a boycott is where I don't do business with company A, and instead I do business with company B. So if I'm going to help company B take space away from company A, it's a boycott. I mean, you might want to phrase it differently, but it's a boycott. So, again, where did I get it wrong? I don't feel like I got anything wrong yesterday. But what I may not have got right, because it was a feedback show, and I wasn't going to go into the whole topic in a feedback show, is, well, what is the real problem? And this is not about Walmart. Trust me, this, we're, we're fixing to walk away from Walmart in this. It'll probably come up a few more times, because it's a fresh example and a good way to understand the problem, because it's a common target of anger and hatred. But when I look at something from a permaculture troubleshooting standpoint, one of the permaculture principles is do the least amount of work for the maximum effect. Least amount of effort, maximum effect. So when I look at that, I think to myself, self, if you got on the air today and told all 45,000 people that listen to you every day, never do business with Walmart again, and they did it, which it wouldn't happen. A lot of you guys... A lot of you guys that go, I hate Walmart. I can't believe you go to Walmart. I know if I come to your house, I'm going to find shit from Walmart in your house. I know some of you I won't. There's one or two I know by name out there that are upset about this. And I, I'd say you guys probably know. Probably know. One I'm sure of, right? But a lot of the people that are, I can't believe you would do that. I know there's Walmart shit in your house. I know it, right? I know it. I absolutely know it. But if everybody did it, it wouldn't drop. The share price of Walmart by a penny. Wouldn't change a single business practice of anybody in the United States. But if I can get 5,000 people to walk into Walmart and ask their store manager, which ground meat here 
doesn't have pink slime in it, and that manager has to answer, I, I don't know. I mean, it could be in any of them, or we really don't know about that, or whatever. And the person just goes, well, I won't be buying ground meat from your store anymore then. I think I'll have to go somewhere else until you fix this one problem instead of close your doors. I can get more done. Least effort for maximum result. Somebody said, well, they sell things from Monsanto, Jack, and you hate Monsanto. Yes, I hate Monsanto. One thing you should key in, though, whenever I talk about Monsanto, I also say Monsanto, Canagra, and Bear, because they're the three biggest players. And there's other ones. There's other big, evil, GMO, pesticide companies out there. Right? It's the singling out. Yeah, I probably am guilty myself of singling out Monsanto more than... Uh, then let's say a Walmart, but there's a reason. I believe they're actively creating the problem, and Walmart is capitalizing on the problem. Those are two different things. So when I look at anything, I have kind of a, a totally different way that I look at it. So let's let the whole Walmart discussion go to the side, and those of you that want to cling to it, you let it relate back, and let me let everybody else out of the Walmart trap. And let's talk about the actual situation that we're in. I believe in a process. I believe that I have to look at things from a standpoint of let's dissect the problem. And I can look at any company that seems like an oppressive company, that abuses its employees, right? Uh, that sees employees as nothing but an asset to be used and handled, that, that sees them as replaceable. Uh, that wants to make as much money as possible and, and return as much as possible to its shareholders. And its biggest shareholders are rich, fat cats that make more in a day than, than the entire uh, year, annual salary of an average employee. I can do that. And pretty much if I look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the NASDAQ, just about every company on there qualifies for that to some level and some degree. So I can look at that and I can say, is this the problem or is this a symptom of a problem? What enables this behavior by these people to do this? And I can look at it two ways, two different metaphors, and one's okay and helps you understand it quickly, but the other one actually leads you to a solution. Let's start with the easy one to understand. If you come to me and you have a headache, and I say, hey, take aspirin. You take aspirin, your headache goes away. I've re responded to the symptom, but I haven't fixed the underlying health issue. A, a headache is not a deficiency in aspirin. Now, if your headache's more persistent, and let's say I was a doctor, and you come back to me and I say, well, take this Tylenol with codeine in it. It's a higher level of pain reducer. And that works for you. I haven't done anything still except respond to the symptom. Just because I have a higher level of authority and have the ability to whip out a pad and prescribe a controlled substance to you doesn't do anything to actually fix the headache. Now, the headache could be a lot of things. It could be stress in your life or something minor like that that could be easily corrected. Or it could be a symptom of a much bigger, much more lethal problem like a tumor. Okay? The easy way to understand what I'm trying to tell you is Walmart's the headache. The financial elite sector, the people actually running and controlling the world, and the system that they've created and built that Walmart operates in is the tumor. The good news is This tumor, instead of killing the people, the person whose head it is in, can actually die its own death if we just wait it out. And that's why some of this stuff is mundane, because what I'm going to tell you in the end here is sooner or later this debt-based monetary paradigm is going to collapse anyway. 
So a lot of these companies that you're worried about that they're utilizing this system to attack people and to victimize people and to harm people and to make, make lots and lots of money, when that debt paradigm system falls, you're not going to have to worry about them anymore because they're so leveraged into it, they're screwed. But that's the simple way to understand this. And any company, not Walmart, any company that you're going to look at and vilify this way is the headache Not the tumor. The tumor is the government and financial elite sectors intermeshed into a fascist state, and then these financial elitists establish the mega corporations, right? Being at a layer between themselves and government. So if you're looking at it in a hierarchy, you've got the government, and the government's got a monopoly on force, and then you've got the corporations who have a monopoly pretty much on supply, and then you have the, the primary financial layer that has a monopoly on money, and then you have an elite financial layer that controls all of those layers going down. But, even with that said, even if we want to talk about the, the, the Morgans and the Rothschilds, etc., and say they're the tumor, this is a, a, a short-sighted analogy. It only gets you halfway through the troubleshooting matrix. All it does is identify the source, but it doesn't actually lead you to correcting the problem. This is why I much prefer a permaculture methodology for troubleshooting. And some of you are thinking, this guy uses permaculture to grow potatoes and tomatoes and chickens. And there's no way permaculture addresses this. It does. And it's not earth care, people care, return of surplus. It's not that. It's not feel-good stuff. It has nothing to do with a plant. In some ways, I guess it could. But we can look at that and we can see where the real problem is. Okay, So, if I have a garden and I have a pest, whether it's a weed growing that I don't want there, or an insect that's in surplus that's a pest insect that, that's, that's eating my squash plants or chewing on my tomato plants or whatever it is, I don't really have a pest problem. The pest is the symptom. Now, what I need to do is correct an imbalance. There's a deficiency. There's a deficiency in lace wings. Uh, if there is a, a certain type of weed in my soil, it may represent a deficiency in potassium or phosphorus because that weed may have a deep taproot. It's actually the weed is the solution, right? But remember, this is only a metaphor. But I need to do something to correct the imbalance to get rid of the symptom. So what's the imbalance in our society that allows... A corporation like Walmart to come into a small town and set up business and have everybody start doing business with them and companies and families and small businesses that had been there for generations go under because they can't do enough business now because they can't compete. What is the actual cause of this? Where does the deficiency lie? The deficiency lies in the heart and soul of the consumer. The deficiency lies in us. We are the issue, not Walmart. Not even the financial parasites. They've just learned to leverage our deficiency. Our deficiency today is that we don't know our neighbors anymore. If your neighbor Joe has a hardware store, and you know Joe on a first-name basis, you're going to go to his store before you go to Lowe's. If your neighbor Tom has a grocery store, and you know Tom and his family on a first-name basis, if your kids go to school together, if you talk to each other, If you have barbecues together, you're going to cook his food at the barbecue. 
not the stuff from Kroger. This is where the deficiency is. If I have deficient soil that's deficient in minerals, I need to increase those minerals so the soil will yield me what I want. And that's the minimum effort for the maximum change. If I have a society so addicted to consumerism and debt, and then I look at the one of the largest places that they exercise their debt-based consumerism, and I go after that problem, I'm giving the person with a brain tumor an aspirin so their headache will go away. I'm not actually doing anything. I'm doing a massive amount of effort for a very little response. But even if you go to one of these big stores, these big box stores, these big chain stores, if you're not whipping out Visa and MasterCard for airline miles or some other weird-ass stupid reason you're justifying it for, I'm getting cash back. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. You're not doing that. Your spending is money-based, income-dependent, not debt-leveraged spending. You're going to buy less crap at their store. You're going to focus on needs over wants. You're going to lead the people serving you as businesses down the path of focusing more on supplying good quality needed products rather than glitzy, crappy wanted products. See? This is, this is where you get more effect. I also think that like we can kind of look at this with a, with a five-step troubleshooting methodology to see where the problems really are. Step one, follow the money. Where does the money that gets spent and made by these big companies come from? The well, financial elite layer who manufactures it into production through a debt leverage system and devalues the money that's in your pocket. Step two, see step one, right back where we started. Make sense, right? Because you got to do it twice to drive home the fact that it's the system, not the components operating within the system. If I set a system up a certain way and put you into it, I already know how you're going to respond to it through basic human nature. If I put you in the middle of a maze blindfolded, take your blindfold off and let you go, you're not going to sit down, right? You might for a little bit, but eventually you're going to get up and you're going to find your way out of the maze. I already know this. I know that no human being, unless there's something wrong and damaged internally, is just going to sit there and wait for somebody to come get them. They might do it in a disaster where they've gone into shock, but if you're told what the game is, hey, you're in a maze, it's not that complicated of a maze. It's up to you to find your way out. You think you're going to sit there? No, you're going to get out of the maze. So the system sets up the behavior. So when we follow the money, we determine the entire hierarchy of the system is set up on cheap money that devalues existing money to create a consumer-based competitive mentality where people try to respond to the inadequacies and deficiencies of community in their heart and soul by filling it with crap. And they use the money to buy the crap to attempt to buy happiness and attempt to fill the hole. So this is the problem we're actually trying to fix. Step three, understand the individual behavior. I just kind of did that. See, if we understand how people behave, and then we start to analyze why they behave that way, I'll promise you that a man who lives on a street, who knows every other person on his street on a first-name basis, whose kids play together, or if they're older people, their kids grew up playing together. Their kids come home often. They see each other. They know each other. They walk out in the front yard, not just the backyard. They're involved with each other. 
They go to local football games, high school football games here. They do all that. Will behave different in the same store as a man who lives in a house with his two kids and his wife that knows the people on both sides of them because he sees them once in a while at the mailbox and has no attachment to his community. If I put them in the same store with the same income and the same money and even the same credit cards in their pocket, they'll behave differently. They'll behave differently. One will empower the system, and one will disempower the system. One will cause the system to serve community, and one will cause the system to serve the individual. I have to understand individual behavior to know that, because individual behavior is directly proportionate to community attachment to the individual. And one thing we need to understand is people, and that's why I get on the, you know, you guys that are lone wolves, I'm going to go out there by myself and whatever. Human beings require other human beings to simply be human. If you didn't have other human beings, you wouldn't know how to speak, you wouldn't know language, you wouldn't know how to eat, you wouldn't know how to feed yourself. To be a human, we require other humans. And the system has worked as hard as possible to create as much separation in each other and leave just enough connection to other people so we can still function as damaged, mentally ill human beings so that we serve the system versus the system serving us. So if I want to fix the problem after I understand individual behavior, I have to repair the deficiency in the hearts and souls of the people. I don't care where they shop. If I fix the deficiency in them, what they buy, how much they buy, and when they spend, and why they spend, will be altered permanently. I'll extract the tumor versus applying an aspirin. Step four, I have to understand the total system, not one component. I can't look at the system as a single company in it. I have to understand the holistic interconnected nature that, that, that is being created. I have to understand the fascist economic superstate, the plutocracy, where the few, the real 1%, not the one that the Wall Street Occupy people are pissed off at. You know, they're pissed off at me, likely. They think I probably make too much money. I'm not in a 1%. I'm not even close. These are people that could buy a country if they wanted to. And are the ownership of Walmart part of that 1%? Absolutely, of course. But here's what you better get. There's 8 billion people in the world. 8 billion people. So the 1%, you see them as a very small number of people. The 1% are 8 million people. 1% of 8 billion is 8 million. Got it? Think about that. That's 8 million people. If we focus on any small group of them, a couple hundred is a tiny group out of 8 million, we don't see the totalitarian nature and the totality of the system. The totality of the system, again, I've kind of described it already, but I'm going to do it again just so you get it. At the very upper layer are the 1% of the 1%, the oldest and wealthiest families in the world. People that go back that used to pull the strings of kings and monarchs when there was a feudal system and simply adapted to change and stopped pulling the strings of kings and monarchs and czars and began to pull the strings of politicians. That's all they did. They just changed their M.O. That group are the people that actually control. They're not even, they're not even the people that sit there and do it day to day. People like this don't do their own dirty work. They pay people to do it for them. These are the people that control the central bank of central banks, the global elite banking layer. Beneath them 
are the central banks of the individual nations and things like the International Monetary Fund. That is another thin layer, a very small number of people that are actually in control of that layer. And the people in that top upper layer, that World Bank of World Banks, the conglomerate, control those strings very, very tightly. We come down from there, we come into the major banks in each country. If you give me control of a nation's money, I care not for its laws. And if I control the money, I can control any business sector I want to. I can decide who gets loans and how much they get a loan for. I can decide that this company can borrow money for next to nothing because even though I'm not making direct money on them, I'm manufacturing money, which makes money for me, plus I happen to own the company, so I'll just give myself a loan for nothing. See how it works? And those corporations then employ the lobbyists that are funded by the free money from above, and that money pours in to the government, who again has a monopoly on force. It's okay for them to use force on you. With very rare exceptions, it's never okay for you to use force on them. You get to elect them, but they get the monopoly on force. Now, in front of you will be placed an A and a B scenario for candidates, both of whom are funded by the apparatus above them. Now, some of the money might trickle down from the left side of the pyramid, which comes with a certain marketing message, and some of it might trickle down from the right side of the pyramid, which comes with a different marketing message. But in the end, the people at the top of the pyramid are the same, and they're all in agreement, and they'll use either or to get to the end of their means, which is more power, more control. The problem for them now is they turned a corner and they went to a debt-based system that's beginning to implode and fall apart on itself, and they're shitting their pants. Even the wealthiest people in the world right now are concerned about this because they're not sure how to fix this. They'll come out okay. Um, the Rockefellers and the Morgans, right, they'll do better. The Rothschilds, they'll be in better shape 50 years from now than I ever will, if I'm still around. Probably won't be, right? But 30 years from now. Even if the whole thing collapses, they'll do okay. They'll go to another place. They'll, they'll start their game up. They've been doing it for so many generations, they know exactly what to do. But they might lose a lot of control. They might lose a lot of control. Step five, see step one, follow the money. Whenever you lose sight of the truth, follow the money. It's always about the money. The money is the primary means of control. The money is how the deficiency in the hearts and soul of America has been created. This is the problem. Walmart, McDonald's, Conagra, Bear, Monsanto, any of these companies, as much as I hate them, and I have a whole show planned coming next month about nothing but how bad Monsanto is. How bad they are. Without really talking a lot about Conagra and Bear, maybe that's a mistake. But I think that what I'm trying to say when I tell you about Monsanto is don't buy their stuff is not my message. It's here's what their stuff does to you. And here's how to fix it. So how does a company like any of these big stores, these big mega corporations, these you know publicly traded large super giants, how do they, other than the fact that they get the money for next to nothing where you and I have to pay a premium for it or just can't get it, How do they take over? They capitalize on the deficiency in America's hearts, souls, and communities as individuals and as members of communities. They capitalize on the separatism that they themselves have created. 
So again, if we address one plank, one sector, one anything, without addressing the root problem, which isn't even them, it's us. See, they pull our strings, but the strings are imaginary. They're illusions. I believe that if I could get half of the people, that probably it's only about half that could legally do it where they're currently at or logistically do it where they are currently at, which is about 20,000 people in America, to go out and get three or four laying hens, put chickens in their backyard, and start producing eggs for their own table and giving the surplus away to their community. It would do more to help America than making Monsanto go out of business tomorrow. It would do more to help America. And if you know, if you gave me a magic wand and said all you have to do is do this and Monsanto will go away, I would do it. But I would also know it would only be a very short-term solution. Because all it would do is, is ConAgra and Bayer and, and some of these other companies, they would just pick up all the patents and continue with things. When I tell you about how bad Monsanto's actions are, it isn't so you won't buy Roundup. It's so that you'll know if I buy Roundup and I spray my yard with it, the damage it'll do to your property. Or if I go out and I eat soybeans that are from the conventional system, that have been sprayed with Roundup because they're designed to, what it's doing to you from a health perspective, how it'll damage you, the reality, so that you can then make your own decision. If you still want to eat genetically modified soy after that, that's about your deficiency as a human being. I'm sorry, it really is. It's it's It just means that it's not important enough to you to avoid eating it. Or you have, in some other situations, you have no choice. Right, But I believe that with that one, there's always a choice. Soy is in a lot of stuff, but you can eat very, very cheap and avoid soy. Corn is a lot harder. Corn is in everything. But at least you can say, well, when I go and I decide, okay, I'm going to buy a can of tomatoes, and I'm going to read the ingredients, and one says, high fructose corn syrup, and one says tomatoes, and not much more, I'll buy the one that just says tomatoes. Not because I hate Monsanto, even though I do, but because I don't want atrazine and genetically modified corn in my system if I can avoid it. There's toxins everywhere. We breathe toxins in all the time. But what makes a person not even care? What makes your friends, I get this question all the time for people, they say, i got friends and I've told them about this stuff. And they just glass over and they don't want to hear it. What makes a person do that? They're too busy living their life and they're too busy trying to keep the gerbil wheel turning because they believe it will make them happy. They believe it will fix them. They believe if I can just get one more promotion, if I can just get one more raise, if I can just climb a little bit higher, I'll be happy. There's a great cartoon somebody put out on Facebook. Uh, I think they put it on our page. And I don't think I reposted or whatever I should have. It was awesome. It looked like one of those like inspirational posters, you know, like success. And there's a boat traveling through an iceberg or something like that. You know, like that. But it was a chessboard. And it was a king and a pawn. And the pawn says, if I work hard enough, one day I'll be king. And the king says, as long as he keeps working hard, I get to stay king. And that pretty much sums it up. So how do we fix this? What does work? One of the biggest things we need to do is we need to focus on the positives. 
in our own lives and even in the system. So if I'm going to go to Walmart or any other store for that matter and they give me an option to purchase something that's of higher quality and more of a family-oriented uh, business that's a supplier, then I'm going to buy that. If they put local produce in the Kroger store, then I'll buy that. If they put local produce in the store that's also certified organic, then I'm going to buy that. I'm going to vote for the positive and abstain from the negative. Because sooner or later, I'm going to go to a store. And there's not much difference in any big business today in how they operate and where they are in the system. The only thing we can do to affect that component of the system is to pull through the positive and abstain from the most negative. And if we can 100% abstain from the negative, we might start to make a little bit of a result. It won't make the store close its doors, but if all of the crap food sits on the shelves and all of the good stuff, whether it's a physical product or a food product, doesn't matter, keeps changing, keeps going through, their electronic inventory system will make them focus on those things now, won't it? But it's more important that we focus on the positives in our own life. I would rather the person continue to shop at the Kroger market and grow 10% of their own food than go shop at Whole Foods and buy 100% of their foods from Whole Foods. I'll make a bigger change in the life of the person that grows 10% of their own food. One thing that's going to happen is if you grow 10% of your own food, you're going to grow more than you can eat. You're going to start giving it to your neighbors. Then you might talk to them. Then you might actually start to fill the real void. You might start to actually address the deficiency. Just like if I want the dandelion to stop growing, I either need to turn the dandelion into a solution and eat it and see it as bringing in pollinators, or if I don't want it in that particular spot, the dandelion's telling me the soil's compacted. And I need to do something to uncompact the soil. If I have a shallow-rooted weed in an area that keeps coming back over and over and over and over again, I know the soil's too loose and it doesn't have structure and that weed is trying to hold the soil together so that it can colonize it and other things can success past it and I have to address the deficiency. You see how simple this is. And I know some of you didn't think there was any way I could tie this to permaculture directly. But this is the deficiency in the heart and souls of Americans. The lack of community, the lack of connection, the lack of involvement. Most Americans wouldn't care if they moved today at all, especially to a bigger house. They wouldn't feel like they're leaving anything behind. A lot of people care about their kids and all. They think, my kid grew, grew up here and all. But they don't really care about the geography. If you could take their house and just move it 50 feet or 50 miles or 500 miles, it really wouldn't make them that much of a difference. Mostly what holds us in our communities today is our jobs. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, if I could only find a job somewhere else, I would be out of this place so fast. That's not what used to hold Americans in a place. The, the, the pioneering spirit of America, people went until they found land that was good and people that were good. And when they found those, they put down deep roots and they became part of a community. And they didn't want to move, not because I can't find another job, because I can't find another community where I'm already part of it, where people care about me, where I care about them, where we have each other's backs. That used to hold people in place. Now you tell me what the real problem is. Is the problem McDonald's? Is it really? Now, McDonald's is probably, as an individual corporation, contributed to type 2 diabetes and coronary heart disease more than any other single entity. Not that a lot of other companies haven't, but they've been the most successful 
at value meals and supersize and high carbohydrate, high sugar crap. The most successful. Not the only ones, not the only player, the most successful. But is McDonald's the problem? Or is it the fact that if I give you five more French fries for the same price, you'll pick me over my competitor the problem? What's the problem? Is the problem that you'll buy a 99 cent hamburger that's garbage before you'll buy a $5 hamburger made from grass-fed beef? Which is the problem? I know some of you are going, but I'll buy the $5 burger if I can find it. I'll buy, I'll pay $10 for it if it's a really good high quality organic lettuce, organic tomatoes, nice, you know, really good bun that's fresh wheat. Uh, I'll pay more for that, but I can't find that. But if there were enough people like you, it would be there. So it's not when I say we are the problem or you are the problem. It's not you the individual or me the individual. It's us collectively as a society. But we can only fix it one person at a time. The next thing we can do, and this is why it's a tenet of modern survivalism, reduce and eliminate debt. If you don't have a Visa and a MasterCard and an American Express in your back pocket, you will behave differently when you shop anywhere or buy anything online, offline, local, multinational, it won't matter. I go into homes that people have. Nicely decorated, attractive, huge homes. And you look at it and you go, it's very, very nice. But it's cold. It's sterile. You can tell that half of this house is never used other than people walk through it and look at a picture hanging on the wall. I've been to so many people's homes like that, and I never say anything because I don't want to hurt their feelings. But I look and I, I realize just by looking at their home, I'm dealing with a person with a hole in their soul. And I'll talk to them, and they're a great, wonderful person. And they start to come out of who they are because they're interacting with another person that gives a shit. But I know as soon as I leave, they'll think, you know what, let me get that catalog out and see what else I can put to decorate this room that I'm never in. And that is enabled by debt. That's enabled by debt. Unless you're rich, you can't have all that crap. Just, you know, day-to-day -day buying stuff. And it's, 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 it's symptomatic of people at all income levels. Because I can go into an apartment of a person that makes $25,000, $35,000 a year, and they won't have as much empty space and unused space and all, but I can look around and I can see the same, I can see the cheap knockoffs of the expensive decorations and their attempt to be like the person they're working to become. And I can tell you something about both of those people. Neither one of them are happy. And the person that's in the apartment is playing a video game and they don't realize that's what they're doing. Every time they move up a level, every time they move up a layer in society, get a promotion, get a new job, get a bigger apartment, eventually buy a house, get a nicer car, it's like completing a level in a video game. Yes! And then right back to the controls. You ever see kids? What are you playing? I'm playing, you know, so-and-so game. I'm on level 14. I've never beat this level before. Like, it's the most important thing in their life. And for that moment, it is. And the second they do it, yes! You your teenage boys especially, hands up, yeah, I did it, yeah, I did it, I did it. All right? And then what happens to level 14? It becomes completely, totally meaningless And now I'm on level 15. Until I beat the game and then I get a new game. Or I bore of the game and I go get a new game. 
This is what Americans are doing and most of the civilized world is doing today. We're going from level to level to level trying to beat a game that has no end. The only end of this game is to become so successful at it that you get taken into the fold of the layer above you where you continue to get used by the people above that layer. And you become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. It sounds pretty hopeless, but it's not. The minute we start to focus on the positives, develop our communities, and reduce and eliminate and get out of debt, and start to live a life based on living within our means, all of a sudden we start to separate ourselves from the apparatus. We can see the apparatus for what it is. We start realizing that the person with 20 real friends who they can call up and, and say, this weekend I'm having a barbecue, and some of them will have commitments, but of the 20, 10 will show up and be happy to be there. And next weekend, one of them will invite him and the other 10 and some other people to their backyard. will have a much more fulfilling life than the person with the giant apartment on Madison Avenue that can only get together with people in a bar because it's trendy and that's where people go. And that's just reality. Now, the next thing we can do is we can make choices about where we spend our money. And we can do business with the best company available for what we need. So if there is a better alternative than Kroger or Walmart or Albertsons or whatever, use it. By God, use it. But I'm not going to do without because the alternative's not there. And when you do business with a company you prefer not to, buy the best things that they offer. If you're worried about China, you know, I got news for you. Most of the China bashers, if I come to your house, the freaking doorknobs on your door are probably made in China. Right? Parts of your America-made car are made in China. But if you're worried about China, and there's two products, and one is made in America, buy the one that's made in America, even it costs a little bit more. But if you need a product, and it's only Chinese-made products that are in that sector, that tells you that American companies aren't in the business of making that anymore. And if you need the product, buy the product. But what you'll find... If we've taken the other steps first, focused on the positives, building community, reduced and eliminated debt, you'll find yourself making that decision a lot less and buying a lot less shit altogether. Then you'll have more resources available to make the right choice when it comes along. This is how we fix the problem. And then this is the biggest thing you can do, because this will take a lot of the pressure off you. Except the debt-based monetary paradigm is going to fail anyway. All of these companies that are predating on this, this weakness in us as a community are only successful because of this, this propensity and ability of governments and banking systems to print money at will, to recycle energy and labor through the use of fiat currency. That's the only reason that they're able to do this. When that currency fails, guess what? A lot of the problems... <laughs> they're going to fix themselves, even though there's going to be a lot of pain. Trust me, if I have to cut a, a, a tumor out of your brain, even if I'm the best neurosurgeon in the world, and even if it's a highly operable tumor, you're going to have a long, painful recovery after I take a bone saw and cut the top of your skull off and go work in your freaking head. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be convenient. But maybe you'll survive, and maybe you'll have a fulfilling life. That's what we're going to go through. And if you accept the fact that this system will fail, if you accept that, 
then you stop worrying so much about what somebody else is doing, and then you do the one thing that most Americans just can't do. Focus on yourself and accept that you are the source of most of your problems. Now, I know a bunch of you just got pissed off at me when I said that. And I know when I had a lot of problems like that, I probably would have been mad when somebody said that as well. But when I really sit back and look at it today, as someone who's been through both sides of it, I can say that in every point that I was miserable or unhappy or wanted something different or wanting something more, that my actions did more to get me into that position than, than anything else. Now, there were times when the situation led me to make those decisions, and I felt that I had no other choice. But it wasn't because I didn't have another choice. It was because I didn't yet understand the system. Does that make you a victim of the system? Or does that just make you a human being subject to mistake and error? If you don't know there's a cliff ahead, and you're running as fast as you can, and you go off the edge of the cliff, and you die because you fall to the bottom of the cliff, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Now, if you were told there's some cliffs in the area, but there's guardrails and signs and, and clearly marked trails, so you don't have to worry, and you had no reason to doubt that, and somebody took the guardrail down, took the sign down, and marked the trail leading it to the cliff, then they're a criminal and they've led you off the edge of the cliff. Some of these companies are doing just that. But most of them aren't. The cliffs are just there. They're just operating within the system. They're hoping when you fall off the cliff, you'll land in their cash register. The drug companies are doing it. Financial companies are doing it. They're all doing it. And in some ways, we don't have a choice in the current system. You ha If you want to buy stuff, you have to have money. I mean, you have to work within the system the way that it is, just like all of these companies do. But you can choose how much you partake in the system. You can focus on building, using the debt-based leverage money system to put a system of support in place for yourself versus paying for your systems of support a la carte. And, and getting rid of any company. If you told me, ten, Jack, you can pick ten companies. We'll break them up, dissolve them, get rid of them, free up the marketplace, and, and you can just right now pick them and we're going to do it. I could come up with a list of ten pretty fast, and it would make a difference. But I would have given you aspirin for your brain tumor. Your headache will go away for a while, but the it would almost be like giving you some kind of medicine that shrinks the tumor, but doesn't eliminate it. And then not giving you any more of it. Well, the tumor will shrink, the symptoms will improve, and the tumor will start growing again. Remember, if we break up AT&T, there will be more competition and everything. Look at what happened with that. I'll see if I can find a video on that today for you uh, that somebody put out many years ago. This is just hysterical. When they talk about how AT&T broke up and they went back together, it's like the freaking Terminator. You know? You push them into, uh, what they push them into? Liquid nitrogen? And then they knock them over and he just shatters into a million pieces. And then as soon as the, the liquid metal dissolves, it just, that's exactly what it's like. Because the, the consumer and the system are the issue. And we can fix it. But you can't fix it for your neighbor. You can only be an example for your neighbor and hope he'll join you on the walk. And if you wonder what that has to do with survivalism, it's everything. It's everything. And it is who we are. This is a big thing I'm going to finish with today. You've been lied to. 
In many ways, you know that. But you've been lied to in a way that many of you still believe. You've been told that the natural state of the human being is one of competition and a belief in scarcity and putting themselves first. You've been told that survival of the fittest applies to human beings the way it applies to animals, and you've, and you've been even lied to about that. There's more cooperation in animal, the animal world than, than most people ever realize or see. And human beings are hardwired. We're hardwired to cooperate. We're hardwired to help our fellow man. We're hardwired. Probably one of the most basic instincts of human beings, if they're not mentally ill, is sympathy, compassion, and empathy. And if you don't think so, then why when you watch a TV special and a wife runs and grabs her husband who came home early, who she didn't expect, and is there for Thanksgiving dinner, and she didn't think she was going to see him maybe ever again, why do you get that feeling? Why do you think you get that feeling? Well, no matter what you believe about 9-11, one of the biggest lessons from it isn't how it happened, why it happened, and what happened, but how people responded to it. Why didn't people just trample the person in front of them? Why did people stop while the clouds were billowing, grab their fellow person, pick them up, and drag them with them? Why did people from all over the country go help at, at risk to their own health? Because when you got two buildings, three buildings, four buildings really burning, all their electrical components, that you know you're not going to a healthy environment. Why did they go there? When there was an earthquake in Haiti, despite the fact that the Red Cross screwed Haiti over and screwed all the donators over, why did over $300 million get donated by Americans to help Haiti? If we're so hardwired to compete and steal and take away from people, if we're not hardwired for compassion and empathy and joint support, why do these things happen then? Yes, mentally ill people walk past a guy that's being mugged and do nothing. But most of the time, if somebody's being mugged, people intervene. Most of the time, people intervene. Why? We're hardwired for it. We wouldn't have made it this far if we weren't. That's reality. And that is the problem. That is the source of the disease. That is the deficiency that you've been lied to and tricked into believing that that's not true, that that's not the case, that you are here to compete, to steal, to take in a world of scarcity where we're designed to cooperate in a world of abundance. That doesn't mean we can't have our own little piece of the pie. But how big does that piece need to be? Seriously. A person worth a billion dollars that really wants two billion dollars is sick in the head. They're sick in the head. A person worth a billion dollars could spend $10 million a year for a 100 years making no money at all, no interest, no nothing, just withdrawing from the account before they ran out of money. They're sick. If that's not enough, they're sick. And they've passed their sickness, their mental illness, onto as many people as possible 
So the pawn will believe, if I work hard enough, I can be king. And the king can sit back and laugh and say, as long as he keeps working hard, I'll stay king. And the pawn may one day become a knight or a bishop. But the pawn will never be king. The pawn will never be queen. The two rulers of the board will stay the rulers as long as you keep playing the game. And the game is work harder and make more money so you can buy more stuff, so you can have more stuff, so you can work harder, so you can make more money, so you can buy more stuff. It reminds me of a guy I knew in high school that got hooked on methamphetamine that worked in an auto body shop. He was really good at what he did, but he was a meth head. And he said one day, I, he said, I finally realized what I do, man. I work harder so I can make more money, so I can buy more speed, so I can work harder, so I can make more money, so I can buy more speed. Mentally ill, sick, addicted. It's exactly the way we behave as a society. I just want more. I just want more. I just want more. And we should be seeking more. More interaction. More community. More involvement with our, with our neighbors and our families, our schools, our churches, our temples, our synagogues, whatever it is for you. With a lodge, PTA, I don't care what it is. As long as you and other people are actually involved with each other. Without any of the bullshit Stepford wife, what is it, that freaking desperate housewife's crap where you're trying to outdo your neighbor, that shit has to stay out of it. We need to start asking ourselves questions like, who is this neighbor of mine? Who are they really? That's minimum effort for maximum result. If you want to go out and think that you're going to change things by telling people not to shop somewhere or not to do business somewhere, go ahead. Go for it. I wish you the best. You're going to do a lot of effort for a little bit of return. If you could change one person from someone who believes in the system to someone who separates from the system, then you've really accomplished something. And with that, this has been Jack Spirigo with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
revolutionize you.